Why aren't you standing there with like a spear in your <laughs> yeah. titties out and on one leg? Yeah. I usually am. You just caught me on a day when I'm just not caught. doing that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to our podcast, Pretty for an Aboriginal. I'm Nikki Louie. And I'm Miranda Tapsell. And we're here to talk about all the things this country has trouble talking about. Like relationships, sex, dating, being a total boss, weight and most difficult of all, race. Okay, let's start. We have another amazing guest this week, Nikia. Mm -hmm. It's my friend and fellow Territorian girl, Shari Sevens. Hey, no, no, go back there. Your friend... Uh, she's she's my friend too, Taps. Do you want to fight me for her? Yeah, I will. All right. Yeah, come on then. Maybe just take your <laughs> off. <laughs> Maybe we can get like a point system. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just like keep track of all the nice things we do for each other and whoever has the most points is the nicest because <laughs> that's not weird. <laughs> Shari is an acclaimed stage and TV actor and I know this because she was in my latest play, Black is the New White, and my TV show, Black Comedy, and she's a very funny and talented woman. She is. She's also an accomplished film actor. She's had roles in Teenage Kicks, Australia Day and, of course, The Sapphires. What a woman. <laughs> That's pretty seductive, hey. Anyway, dum-da-da-dum, Shari Sebens, welcome to the show. Yay! <laughs> I'm sick, by the way, so if I sound like Kermit the Frog or something, it's... Because I'm sick and not Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I was also, for a second I was like, why are you? This is radio, babe. Like no one can see you. It's a podcast. Anyway, uh, did you like that welcome that we just gave you? Yes. <laughs> did you feel really special? I did. Because um, we are just so stoked you're on the show. <laughs> now, it's called Pretty for an Aboriginal. Shari, have you ever been told that you're pretty for an Aboriginal? Um. I'm try I always every time I see that I always try and think and I I think in my teenage years I probably was but it's more so like backhanded like yeah oh you're really white you can't be aboriginal like that kind of stuff mm. yeah. yeah so, so do people like look disappointed when when you tell them that you're aboriginal um yes yes they like it, it less now because of the sapphires and things like that so because I people some people kind of know who I am, maybe. It's not as surprising, but back in the day, people, yeah, they were very disappointed to know that I was Aboriginal and I don't look at an OMG, why am I claiming and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, Nikia and I were actually talking about this when we've, when we've actually let people know that we're Aboriginal because they, of course, we look like, we all look like something, yeah. you know, not Caucasian. So yeah. when we tell them that we are actually Aboriginal, like I can see the disappointment in people's faces. Yeah, they're kind of a bit shocked that you're not, you know, wearing yeah. a, a lap lap or you got your susus out or something and you're not painted <laughs> up. And, like, and that's, yeah. which is a totally valid, like, that is, we have members, you know, Aboriginal people who do live like that, but we also have Aboriginal people in cities and who grow up in between cultures and things like that. So they, um, yeah, they get a bit disappointed when I'm not the cultural, authentic Aboriginal, you know, sage well, that they want me to be, I suppose. And I'm like, I'm 16. <laughs> I'm not like, why are we, why do you expect me to be like this? <laughs> and still at 30 something, they, they expect you to, but yeah. <laughs> My one is always like, Oh, you're Aboriginal. Which part? Yeah. It's like, oh, my yeah, mom, like my elbow. I know. See, I'm becoming home and, like, 
I remember sitting in the car on the way home one day out from school and these kids had told me that I, like, I was only half Aboriginal because I used to say I'm Aboriginal and that's what my mum's thing was always. It's, it's not about a part of you, it's who yeah. you are. So I remember one day kids at school telling me that I was only half and I could only be half because my mum was Aboriginal, not my dad. Um, and I said to her, I was like, Mum, am I, am I half Aboriginal? Which half? I was like, oh, Yeah. Good point, Anna. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> mum chumped me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah, my dad's Torres Strait, my mum's Aboriginal. So I tell that the people, they just kind of like their brain that kind would of send their brain stops into, for a moment. Yeah, like, yeah. why aren't you really black and yeah. on a boat right now? Why aren't we on a boat in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, why aren't you standing there with like a spear and your yeah. titties out and on one leg? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, yeah, just, I usually am. You just caught me on a day when you I'm just not doing me. that. <laughs> um, uh, when Nikia and I were developing the show, uh, mm-hmm. we had a conversation about accents um, because I th- I'd like to think that my voice has changed a little bit um, after I'd been after I've been to drama school. You and I went to drama school together. Mm. Um, you went to NIDOC. We went to NIDA, NIDA, darling, yes. You can't say it unless you say it like NIDA actors say it, so. Yes, yes. Um, so you're a NIDA grad. Uh, did your accent or voice change after you arrived in Sydney? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, it was always kind of funny because I didn't, I suppose, I, like I kind of geek out a bit on voice and things like that. I'm a real nerd for vocal warm-ups and exercises and be, you know, your your voice is your instrument and that kind of thing. Um, and I remember them telling us in first year that our voices would, would change, mm. not the voice but, the, you know, the way we deliver our words and stuff as well because the whole point is to work you towards an open vowel place so that you're speaking from a neutral Australian accent so it's easier to put on other accents. Um, but then, you know, you kind of realise that because you're Aboriginal you're not going to get to play any other roles. <laughs> So it doesn't matter if you can do a really great British RP pronunciation <laughs> accent because no one's going to cast you. <laughs> no. Um, no, but I remember teachers saying, oh, you know, your voice will change and people will treat you differently. And I was like, oh, whatever, and then went home and, I like, people commented on the fact that I sounded different. Um, so I kind of figured out. But I think Aboriginal people grow up very early on code switching. Like that's, yeah. you know, mm. to borrow that term from the States, I guess, like that's definitely something that, that we do, and every every black person has a white phone voice. A hundred white people have phone voices. Like yeah. it just makes sense that black people have them too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting though. Like yeah, talking about that code switching and going between both. Yeah, um, and having that white phone voice because recently we remember we all went out to dinner at a <laughs> restaurant in Sydney, and I had to like call up, and it's pretty like exclusive restaurant and, and just change the booking and so I had to put on like I got it like my rich white girl voice <laughs> oh I love that like she's younger like yeah she's, she already looks younger yeah I kind of have like a few like like so she's kind of eastern suburbs of Sydney inspired she like probably wears like one teaspoon and has like a Chanel so like specific. little Chanel cross bag and yeah it's it's interesting so do you have like a do you have like a white voice um, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a white voice. This is probably close to it actually because <laughs> um, something happens when I'm presented with being like, you know, talking into a microphone or a camera or something. Um, I've got a, yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's. I always do this thing though, where I kind of when I'm when I'm making phone calls or trying to you know I, I try and face the world with my grounded voice so that I'm never affecting myself to sound less intimidating or threatening than I should for a woman. Like you know, mm. we have to be soft and kind of speak here and and just kind of giggle and stuff. But <laughs> I, I'm always kind of reminding myself to just speak from where I where I exist, I guess, which is in my gut. Food <laughs> <laughs> is good. What about you, Taps? Oh, the, the voice that I put on. Um, I think I tend to, yeah, I tend to worry about what other people think of me and I get really insecure in a, in a room full of, if I'm the only Indigenous person in the room, I do tend to talk up here because it's like, please, please like me. Like, don't, don't hate me. Um, but going back to like code switching, you know, like when I'm with Indigenous people, I do get really loud and I do get really <laughs> like, hey, yeah. like it yeah. gets, it gets, it's different. Um, but Shari, um, it's so interesting that you brought up the term code switching. Just, just in case the people listening aren't sure what that means, would, can you tell us what that is? For Aboriginal people, it's this, I guess, you know, we have, we've got a lot of language still in the country that we need to look after and everything. But what's happened is there have been, you know, slang words that have made it across the land. So, you know, the, I remember being a teenager and people fighting over, like kids fighting over who owned the word gammon. <laughs> like <laughs> Queenslanders like truly nearly got in a fight. Like we were at the school's competition thing and the Queensland girls were like, it's our word. And the NT girls were like, nah, that's our word. Our family's been saying that since day dot. Like <laughs> so it's this um, idea that, you know, when you're around your community that you identify with most that you spend the most time with you speak a certain way and then when you go into your professional world or or a world where society standards are different and um you can turn on you know the probably the dominant culture which is white people in this country like that way of speaking so yeah that's code switching well my mom I said gammon the other day and then my mom was like that's not even our word our word naraga and Womba. Oh, yeah, it's right. See, I've heard, Nar- like, I've used Naraga before. Like, and you do do that thing where you visit other mob on their country yeah. and you learn very quickly what their words are. And so you just say, because you're there. And, or when you're talking to them. So, you know, I kind of, there's probably friends of mine from all around Australia, from all different nations, and I know some of their words and they know some of mine. So when we're together, we'll swap each other's words over. And that's kind of fun in a way. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, you know, it's a sweet way of being able, of, identifying with someone and and um, empathising with them and, and that kind of thing. And yeah, just for the, um, yeah. non-Indigenous people out there, like Naraga means that kind of like poor, unfortunate thing or like a bit like like a bit nuts. Naraga. Like so, you know, oh, that's Naraga. <laughs> Womba kind of means Womba a bit, is, yeah. yeah, crazy. Mm. And maybe one of you guys can describe yeah. gammon, so, you know, so that's not my word. Gammon's like my favourite. I don't know whose word it is. It's hard to find out. I uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> it's ours, Queensland. No. Mad gammon. It's this great word. I love it because it's so many different things. It means pretend or fake. Uh, it means try hard or want to be. Um, sometimes it's just a sentence filler and there is every t- every Aboriginal kid in Darwin goes through this phase where they use it at, like they would use the word like in America sort of, like, you know, and then me and my friend, yeah, we gammon went shopping and then we gammon got this drink and then we get. And it's like, <laughs> I remember my, one of my brothers going, so did you really do any of that? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, we did. We did all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is, you know, someone can be 
Gammon trying to do something or, or, or being a hero as well. Like, oh, yeah. Look at him, yeah. Gammon, trying to do yeah. <laughs> be the big man here. Or, don't Gammon. Or like, yeah, there's so many different. Yeah, like don't it's joke. Great. Like don't yeah. Gammon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's Gammon. Should I get this? No, that's Gammon. Like it's, it's a very versatile word. Like I don't think in Australia we have as many regional accents as they do like in America and the UK and stuff like yeah. that. So we don't, we don't get to play as much within our own country. Um, but there's, in saying that, there's definitely, you know, like Northern Territory accents are so different to Queensland accents, are so different to WA or South Australia, but not enough. Yeah. We don't have Southern versus Manhattan or New Jersey or Midwest or, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. It's also that saying that the very act of naming is essentializing. Yeah. And so, you know, film and television are an active medium where you have to someone has to look and sound a certain way for the meaning of that story to be placed, which I think can be interesting. Um, It can have an interesting hierarchy and value when it comes to diversity and creating stories, especially in like a country like Australia where there is such a, well, where, you know, colonisation is still so close in Australia, you know, Mm. it's only like 200 years ago when, you know, kind of, you know, we had... um, UK people rock up, invade, however you want to say it. Mm. Um, so do you think that with your career in terms of you not uh, being able to, you've never played a role that is that, that you've used just your voice that you use at home, is it a case of just uh, creative, um, you know, just kind of no one really, does anyone really want to hear what someone sounds like at home? Or do you also think it's something to do with your racial identity and what you look like and yeah. the people, the roles that you you get put in? Have you experienced yeah, that? Yeah, I mean something that's kind of happened in my, like in the last few years, I've stopped. There's been, there's I, there's a definite difference now where I know that I, I will deliberately not code switch. If I'm in a room where I feel like I need to make some people uncomfortable, I'll say things the way that I would at home and use the, t- you know, the slang words and, and stuff like that. But now there's also a real like, I don't know, I kind of like to protect some part of me and that's a huge part of who I am. Like I remember being at NIDA and people laughing going, and just throughout my life actually, people going, you know what, Shari, if we, we wouldn't know you Aboriginal until you get on the phone to your family. <laughs> and then it like every every sense of like non-Aboriginality, like it's shattered. <laughs> um, you get loud, <laughs> you get less shame, uh, you know, half the things you say are in some like weird slang, yeah. Darwin NT slang that we don't understand. Um, so part of it for me now is keeping that to myself, I guess. Um, yeah, but also like, I suppose I, I would feel like if I'm doing a movie where I'm, you know, like in the Sapphires, yes, I was Aboriginal or in Redfern now and things like that, but I'm not playing me from Darwin and I'm in my head, I'm so conscious of sounding like a Northern Territorian. So I would go, no, no, I need to like neutralize it a bit so that I feel like I'm doing something different so that I feel like I'm acting. Um, yeah. So even though, cause, cause I was going to ask, with the code switching, um, you know, wanting to keep that part to yourself, but then do you have to sometimes code switch for certain roles? Because I've been asked to do that for like, um, you know, yeah, doing black, yeah. like, like comedy. It was like, can you do it, like do that accent more black? Yeah. I couldn't, surprise. And um, <laughs> they just said just do your normal voice. Yeah. But do you then, that part of you, do, like when you have to go for those roles and you have to like show that you're Aboriginal yeah. to those white people, 
do you have you got like a different version of of your Aboriginal accent? Oh, what you're saying? I just like I remember when I auditioned for NIDA, the head of acting at the time asked me to do my Shakespeare monologue with an Aboriginal accent, and I just remember going, "It is because I am." <laughs> like, and then <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, you're never going to get in." And then I got in, thankfully. Um, but I, I did an, another audition a few years back for a show, and they were like, "Oh." Can you just this guy? It was one of the male producers of the show, not the casting. Uh, he was like, "Oh, can you can you just do it again, but uh, with a bit more of a rural accent?" And I was like, "What do you mean by rural?" Oh, you know, just um, oh, you know, just not so city. And I was like, "No, I, I'm still not." And I just I just <laughs> kind of pushed because I at that stage I knew also I was like, if he's asking me to do this, he does not see me as this character, so I've already lost a job. Yeah. And I just kind of pushed until I re- like I just wanted him to say it. Can you sound blacker? Because it's so bullshit that a white man thinks he can ask that of an Aboriginal woman in this country, of any Aboriginal person, any actor in any room. Um, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so it has, rural. It he has happened. Yeah, he wanted me, I guess that was the, the only way he could <laughs> politely say, can you sound Aboriginal? <laughs> can you uh, sound, you know, a bit more like flora and fauna, you know, yeah. pre-1967 <laughs> Aboriginal people being recognised as, can you, you know, sound a little less yeah. colonised? Yeah, like, can you? <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, though, in a way, yeah. that something about it is is that it's a very, you know, when you when you think about film and television and plays, we don't have a lot of a time, we don't have a lot of time to set up story and narrative, so it is an easy way to indicate, you know, character, narr- like, journey and stuff like that. So it's, it's a great indicator of character and place and everything. So it's, I can understand, I totally understand in some cases, but I'm like, no, dude, just say Aboriginal, don't say rural, that's weird. Like, let the audience change their opinion of, like, what they think of exactly. black person. You're a proud body Jabba Jabba woman mm. and um, you're very um, vocal on Twitter. So I guess Nikia and I are all, like, we always on this podcast talk about um you know, activism versus art. And mm-hmm. I guess we want to ask you as someone who's so passionate about Aboriginal rights and being an artist, is there a tension? I've been really lucky, I guess, and fortunate to have, I guess I pride myself on my integrity as an actor in, and I let my politics speak through the projects I choose. Mm. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be in a position where I can say no to things and not feel like I'm missing out um, financially or career-wise or, or things like that because it's it's definitely something that, you know, but there are days where I wake up and I go, oh, my gosh, I would just love to be able to do something without having to, like, grieve every night on stage or, yeah. you know, and I think it's a luxury afforded to every white actor, like they're representing the human race as opposed to their community. So would you take a role written for an African-American or a Hispanic actress? Uh, no, no way. <clears throat> a, I'm like I don't look either of those things but, well, mostly it's just not my story and it's not my experience and it's not. I think if there's a role that's, you know, we do get roles that aren't culturally specific um, and if someone's like just chuck on an American accent, if someone came to me and said, you know, we want you to be in five seasons of the next ER or something. I'd do that for the money. <laughs> <laughs> Parks and Rec? Because I could come home. Oh, my gosh, Parks and Rec, hell yes, totally. 
Um, but taking someone, you know, a role from somebody, a, a minority who is fighting still for recognition, I just couldn't do that because I see it somewhat happening here and I'm I'm not okay with it. Yeah. So because um, we were actually talking about um, the Maori actor Cliff Curtis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like he's obviously really, he's really um, killed it over there in, in yeah. Hollywood playing, you know, I think one of the major roles he snagged was um, like a gangster um, of Hispanic heritage. Yeah, yeah. He's also played like Muslim terrorists. Yeah. He's played a lot of, yeah. He's played I, a lot of different roles. A and lot I mean, of people talk about him in that way, like being that chameleon, I suppose. And a part of me is like, white people get to do it. Go for it, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Taika Waititi, like one of his breakout roles, certain drop taps. Like yeah, yeah. Nice. Green Lantern, was it, where he played someone from India, India and some continent? Oh, really? Yeah. Did he play an Indian character? Yeah, oh, in, really? in Green Lantern. And, yeah. <laughs> I have to watch Green Lantern now. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch it because I just remember his, sorry, Taika, not great American accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Speaking of Taika, um, you got to you got to go on to the set of Thor because yeah. you you were all, like you were acting in it, but you were also like the uh, like a directing intern. Is that right? Because he yeah, director's attachment. Director's yeah. attachment. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but like it was just I was I was just seeing all your photos on socials, like particularly with Idris, like which was so <laughs> cool. Um, so like, tell us about that experience. Like, um, yes, it's it's. Tricky because I know I've signed a confidentiality thing and I'm always going, what can I say? Uh, it was amazing. It was a three, it was a few weeks actually, um, hanging out. Taika made a very conscious decision to cast as diversely as possible because we're on a foreign planet and not everyone is white. Um, so he got, you know, like at any time the extras were just made up of the most amazingly diverse bunch of people. Um, and then he also made a very <clears throat> great decision uh, to get 10 interns, I think, Indigenous interns in. And he's, th- you know, the thing behind that was, well, I'm on these people's land. I'm on as a, as a First Nation person, as a Māori person, I can't go to another person's country and not acknowledge that and do what. It was really great, I guess, he to see him using his position of privilege to potentially change some, change someone's career path, really. Because um, a lot of people get to write on their CV, Thor, which is cool. Um, so he had, yeah, like people in stunt department, people in art department, people in um, AD, that, like base unit people. Myself and my nephew were director's attachment. Um, yeah, it was it was so awesome. You know, Taka kind of built that. You know, worked his way up into that 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 position of power by being yeah. like incredibly talented. Yeah. But you know, he also kind of took his break within you know a bigger industry like Hollywood, um, by you know playing roles that you know necessarily weren't of his you know racial background. Yeah. I'm not saying that you know the two go hand in hand or you know condoning no, that no. or whatnot. But I guess you know just going back to taking you know playing different racial identities, you know like the reality is there's going to be like close to zero Aboriginal roles written in overseas shows for any of us. So Mm. when it comes to do you you feel like would would you play like a white actor? It's just it's just kind of it's like is there like a political power structures behind that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like if it's like I said like not culturally specific um, 
you know, and if it's not pertinent to the to the role, like yeah. a doctor in an American medical drama is a doctor, not a white doctor, yeah. then I'd have no problem taking that paycheck. So um, going back to you having this awesome time on Thor Ragnarok, I think you'd be an awesome director. Do you think you'd ever? Do you think you'd ever do it? Yeah, that well, yeah, totally. It, um, I guess I can talk about that. Uh, the way it came about was because I was sitting in Byron Bay at the time of the Blues and Roots Festival, and oh, my that's... best friend, yeah, I was there. I was there with one of my best friends, one of my other best friends. I'm just a best friend whore, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she, her and I were at a cafe and she asked me what my five-year goal was and I said I would like in five years to be on set of my first feature film. What is it do you think that makes you want to go in that direction? Like um, are you not seeing the stories that you like no, would like I'm, to see? Or? I'm definitely seeing the stories I'd like to see. I guess what it is is I'm seeing men do it a lot. So I'm mm. seeing a lot of yeah. white men and Aboriginal men that get to try their hand at writing, directing and acting because they've never, I don't know, I, I I sort of sat back and went, all right, what is it? Women, we're kind of not raised with the same belief that we can give everything a shot and that we can just try it all, um, which is, again, one of the things that I admire about Nakia. She just goes, oh, fuck it, I'm doing it. Yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, I guess you and I, we're getting to that stage now where we're going, hold on, no, we can do more than act and say somebody else's words. So writing it, like I'm trying it. It's not something I'm great at. It's not something I love doing. Um, but it, it it comes from, a I guess, just wanting to push myself out, out of my comfort zone a bit. Um, it's not at all to do with not seeing story. Like the stories that are happening at the moment are incredible and I'm really proud to be a part of them. Um, yeah, it's just about thinking like I got a dick, I suppose. <laughs> I was just about to say, like you said, like, oh, I'm not that, you know, I'm not that good at writing. And it's like, we do that so often as women and I think like especially as Aboriginal women in Australia where you're consistently yeah. having to like apologise for just That's true. existing. Yeah. You know, I say like yeah. sorry five times ordering like a fucking oh, coffee, you know, I like know. it's ridiculous. So, yeah, like I worked with a lot of white men in my time and they never, they would they never. never ever question the no, quality of their work, so or at least not verbally, you know. I think well, and they something... actually kind of ignore the people that do yeah. in, a, in a way. Like yeah. they, they do the work, they produce it, and they don't care what's being said about it because they just move on to the next project. So it's that kind of I, I wish I had that to some extent, but also I do feel like all my work I would be, I would like to be responsible to my community and what I'm saying. Yeah, um, absolutely. You mm. spoke about previously about, you know, having to, to kind of be a palatable, palatable Aboriginal mm. person. Do you feel the pressure to be like a, a good Aboriginal, whether that be from decisions you make, um, like whether that be like for white people or whether that be, you know, decisions we make that could possibly yeah. uh, we have to somehow be responsible to or accountable the, yeah. to the community? Totally, yeah. all the time. That's a That's a big thing I suppose and it could very well be be you know like um I guess it, it I I'm conscious in myself that it could lead the way perhaps to to me not making money one year because I don't want to do that story because I'm worried about what my community will think if I take it um yeah and so it's maybe self-sabotage in that way but um there's yeah I I guess it's more about I think a question of ownership of the work. Like I'm conscious about that. When a when a white dude writes a television series and it's all white dudes in a room writing a television series or a movie, 
with Aboriginal characters and there's no one in the room to to bring our voice and our experience into that story, then I kind of go, well, no, I don't want to be a part of that because also I know my workload's going to be more yeah. and I'm going to be paid to be some kind of cultural consultant as well as an actor turning up to their job, which white people don't have to think about or, you know, well, yeah, white people because I'm sure any other culture, race person or, or nation of person in this country goes through the same thing. Well, you're not um, getting paid two salaries either. Exactly. Like you're getting, you yeah. know, you're getting paid the same person who's just there, who's able to like go have their lunch. Yeah. You know, go And not going and reading the script going, oh, uh, mm, no, this isn't cool. You can't say that. Or no, this character wouldn't do that. Or that Aboriginal woman. And you don't, you find yourself not doing it just for yourself, but for every other Aboriginal character in the script or, you know, so suddenly you are cultural consultant for five characters and you're just getting you're getting paid to do your own work and no one else's um yeah do you think that you talked about as well you know having to you know so often we're doing a lot of aboriginal work it's about doing tragedies and Mm -hmm. having to relive trauma every single night do you think that like as an actor playing these roles do, do you think that this country has an obsession with watching aboriginal trauma or yeah, I think there's an element of um, being able to pat yourself on the back because you've partaken in some in some kind of Indigenous experience um, sitting in it. You know, you've paid between 60 to $90 for a ticket to hear an Aboriginal person tell their story and then you leave and you kind of don't think about it again after that until the next season pass comes out. Um, I think that's a real thing. Like I and I, I guess the... It always hits me the hardest when I, you know, at the end of a long week when you're crying on stage and you look out and you're, it's just a, an ocean of non-Indigenous faces coming at you and you kind of go, well, who am I doing this for? Like why am I telling this story in an untouchable building that no one, my mob can't even get to, <laughs> let alone feel comfortable walking through the front door and don't even have the money, a lot of people, to pay for that $90 ticket or that $60 ticket or whatever. Um yeah, so I, I, it is. I think it is somewhat of an obsession, and and it's also though. But our audience, I do, I don't want to dumb down audiences because I think they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And it's like when everybody, when the sapphires came out, and people were so surprised that it was comical, and we're like, yeah, that's how we've survived two hundred yeah. something years of colonization. We laugh at you, mob, and we laugh at ourselves. Um, and they're ready for that, like they're ready to move to the next stage of storytelling, but I completely honour and respect the fact that we had to tell, we had to grieve on stage first to get to our next step, which is, you know, it's a, that's why I'm kind of excited to be around in, in theatre and mostly theatre but film and television at the, at the time now because we're, we're, we're evolving as storytellers and culturally our cultural identity is evolving as well. So it's an exciting thing to be a part of. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think our listeners have uh, got a taste of, like, what happens when titters get together. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they've fallen asleep. I was uh, like, no, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wake up. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but before we wrap up, we ask every guest this mm. uh, who comes on board, when was the first time you realised that your race mattered? Um, when I was 11 and my cousin who we're only like five weeks apart 
and she's a, she's brown and she's got curly hair and she's from she you know from at the time she was coming from Broome, um, and we both walked out of the shops and the security guard asked to check asked to check her bag and not mine, and I was like no check mine. I was adamant that he should check my bag as well because I was like and I couldn't I didn't realize at the time what I'd observed, which was you know discrimination. He was judging my my cousin, an eleven year old Aboriginal girl, thought she was stealing just like. And he very, he very politely said, I don't need to check your bag. And I was like, check it. And he's like, no, it's fine. I really don't need to check your bag. I was like, check it now. And I'm like begging him to check my bag so that my cousin and I were treated the same. And it's only, you know, like a few years later I looked back and went, oh, right, yeah, he was totally, you know, discriminating towards her because of the colour of her skin and I was the little white girl getting let off the hook, which was the first time I realised hmm, that the world is screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Story. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, oh, thank thanks you. for coming on, Kajarine. Thanks for having me. Kaj. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so that's Shari Sevens, who's pretty because she's Aboriginal. <laughs> um, I think one could say. And if she's, she's pretty, no, I'm joking. You are. She's very beautiful. <laughs> I just don't want. She's got green eyes. She's gorgeous. <laughs> Get her to get a big head. <laughs> um, so. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Atats, I don't know about you, but I'm a little shook that Shari has been cheating on us with a third or even a fourth or a fifth best friend. I know. I lost count how many times she said my best friend in that interview. I was, like, really cut up by that. I know. She's like a best friend addict. I know. She's like an intervention. (laughs) We need to line all of her friends up in front of her (laughs) and say, choose a best friend. And if it's not us, you're racist. You oh, out. you're out. You know, that's easy. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so it's kind of, I can see why she has a lot of friends though. And to be to be really transparent, a lot of her best friends are also our, our best, best friends, friends because we have a pretty tight friendship circle of Aboriginal people. Did you have a lot of Aboriginal friends growing up, like in school? No, see, this is the thing. I had all non-Indigenous friends. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm, I'm still friends with them. But I think um, I've just really depended on you and Shari as a friendship because not only are you artists, like you understand the industry, like my non-Indigenous friends haven't gone down that path. Um, You just also understand um, I can come to you for certain things that, that very little needs to be said. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it totally um, makes sense. So, you know, when people do use like microaggressions against me, like when when people speak to me in like a rude or um or unkind manner, like, you know, uh we like I can unpack it and I can understand it when it comes to you guys. Yeah, totally. you know, it and that it's not in my head. Well, that's exactly it. It's like, you know, you things happen, you know, like microaggressions or just like straight up aggression, aggression. Yeah. And, you know, people, you know, you might talk to someone else. They'll be like, is it really a race thing? And they'll like do the whole devil's advocate thing. You know, maybe they meant this, but it's nice that you have people who understand where you're coming from. And yeah, I wonder if that's like a good, like, because part of Aboriginal culture so much is that recognition from the community. 
and yeah. being part of that community. And I wonder if maybe, I don't know, this is, this is a thought that I have not really thought about before, but if like our, you know, our friendship circle, because we are all so incredibly, you know, tight, even though yeah. we annoy each other all the time. Like you're just looking at me annoying me now. <laughs> I love you. But that, that, you know, being there as like if maybe this is like a cult, like this is our culture evolving. You know, I our friendships you know? are part of our Aboriginality. Yeah, and I love the fact that, um, you know, that Shari was talking about um, culture in a sense. Like, you know, um, we all don't come from a background where we speak our languages fluently. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm still in the process of learning Tiwi, but my Larrakia language, the last speaker, died in 1976. So, you know, we're trying to find new ways because I don't know my songs, I don't know my dance. So we're finding a new form of expression, a new way to celebrate our identity. And I think that's, I think it's a really great thing. It's a fulfilling thing for me and I'm sure it is for you. Hey, yeah, Taps, you know how we're talking about white voice? Yeah. I didn't hear your best white person voice. So mine is... <laughs> um, is very articulate. I think I take mine off um, Julie Andrews and oh. um, and who's the a- Angela Lansbury. I like that though. I, I'd like for you to talk to me like that all the time. All the time. It makes my brain tingle. Does Just, it? Yeah. Maybe you should say. Is it because like it's that. warm? Is it Emma Thompson? Like, do you picture Emma Thompson? It's really soothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. And your whole demeanor changes when you do it. I love your white person voice tats, but I love your black voice more. Aw, thanks, Kajarine. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, wrap this up. That's it from us today. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can listen to us on all good <laughs> podcasting apps and follow us on Twitter. I'm Miss Miranda Tapp. And I'm at Nakia Louie. And if you like these conversations mm-hmm. that hopefully make this country a little bit uncomfortable, then you need to get on iTunes and leave us a review, a nice one, please, uh, and share our podcast, Pretty for an Aboriginal, with your friends, all of your friends. Uh, until next time. Bye. Pretty for an Aboriginal is hosted and developed by Nikia Louie and Miranda Tapsell, produced and edited by Nicola Harvey and Simon Mippard from Audiocraft. A big thanks to our supporter, Rode Microphones, and BuzzFeed's director of audio, Eleanor Keegan, and the entire BuzzFeed podcast team. This is a BuzzFeed Australia production. Bye.